Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, the whole context of this show is about moving from being known as the expert, let's say in engineering, IT, product development, quite honestly, anything for that matter, moving from the expert into a larger role with broader responsibility and not so much expertise leadership, something people call the player coach in many ways. Now, these are the types of roles that often come with the next title you're seeking. So if you're a functional or technical specialist who is wondering what it takes to get promoted to the next level, then this is the episode for you, because that's what we're going to talk about first. What keeps you from getting the roles that you think you deserve? And I also spent a little time talking about how do you be more strategic and how do you think about collaborating across boundaries? Now, my guest today is Martina Lotenko who has spent nearly 30 years as a marketing and product leader. And she started her career on what we now know as market-defining software, Microsoft Office, and Netscape Navigator. She teaches what she's learned with the Silicon Valley Product Group and is a lecturer of the UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Engineering. As a partner at Costanoa Ventures, she sits on multiple boards and coaches startups. She's the author of a book I like called Loved, How to Rethink Marketing Tech Products, and Martina holds a BA in Political Science and MA in Organizational Behavior, both from Stanford University, and she's a native Californian, mother of two, and the proud wife of Chris. Martina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda, so much for having me. It's a thrill. I mean, I'm delighted to talk to you. I really do like the book. I think it's got so much to offer. Um, Loved. Great book. What's the problem you were trying to solve with that book? The large meta problem is there is so much software in the world. So five and a half million apps, for example, that's the same number of people as there are in the city of Miami. And for anything to stand out, it's really, really difficult. No category is is one that uh, there doesn't have a lot of overlapping players that are saying the same thing. And the function of product marketing was being misunderstood as a number of tasks that needed to be done. And so the problem I was trying to solve with the book is to elevate people's foundational understanding of the fundamentals of product marketing so that anyone could do it because there just aren't enough, there isn't enough product marketing talent in the world to do all the product marketing that must be done. So I wanted to arm anyone with the foundational skills they needed to understand and what they needed to do to be able to do it so that people like you and me or my mom could understand what is this that you're asking me to download and understand why it might actually make their lives better. So that was the foundational problem I was trying to solve. So I would argue that any leader anywhere, any any organization needs to understand how product marketing works in order to be effective. Whether you're ever gonna see yourself as a product marketer or not, whether you're gonna collaborate with a product marketer or not, you need to understand it because it's ultimately how you're gonna drive the revenue engine of your business. So, yeah, no, I I agree. And I think that's 
what's been really exciting is to see people get that from the book. So I had a controller of a medical device company say, up to now, marketing was just numbers on these spreadsheets. And I now not only understand exactly what it is that they should be doing, but I have points of view about what we should be doing for the money that we're spending. And up to then, all she could do is say, you're on budget, you're off budget. And now she has a framework to understand what should be expected of the function. And I think that's something that's missing for many executives is they think that is one thing, but it actually can be far more strategic than many of them realize. I think think that's a critical point too, because I see so many people who are in marketing functions in one form or another, whether they call it product marketing or something else. And they they complained to me that their organization doesn't know how to use their skills. And so they use a very narrow set of those skills and not enough breadth. Okay. All right. I'm going to step aside from product marketing for a moment, but we're going to come back to that. And to confess that one of the things that I got so attracted to interviewing you, Martina, has to do with a blog that you wrote and what is now part of the book as well. And I want to talk about this whole notion of getting promoted. All right. So you're a functional specialist inside an organization doing some pretty dramatic, wonderful things with that organization. And you wondered, why am I not promoted already? So tell us about what happened. Tell me about the story. So this is back in Internet 1.0 heyday, where any 25-year-old could say, hey, I want to start this company and become an instant CEO. And people were running around and titles were being thrown at everyone. And so I'm looking around, I'm, I'm in a company called LoudCloud, which was started by Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen. And we are going as fast as is possible in building this startup. And I saw people with less experience have higher titles, smaller organizations. I built up this marketing organization from scratch, 20 people, hired three directors that worked underneath me. And I'm seeing other people with VP titles. So I went to my CEO, Ben, and I just said, look at all I've done in my function. Why am I not also a VP? And he told me, I'm I'm really sorry, Martina, but you're just not ready yet. And he couldn't articulate why. And it was so hard for me because I just looked at my body of work and the team that I had built and said, I feel like I've earned this. And I didn't realize that that next level, specifically a vice president, is really about leading not your function, but it's being an organizational leader. And it's helping to reduce, not just build up your function, but it's to bridge across functions. And it's much more not about the body of work you do, but it's about the body of work you're enabling others to do, not just within your function, but across others as well. So it's a different level of elevation. And I wasn't seeing it. I was just seeing like, look at all I've done in my area. Why isn't that being recognized with that next elevated title? And it took me many years to realize that I wasn't ready. And of course, I've interviewed hundreds of marketing and product leaders since then. And the single biggest tell that someone is chasing that level or actually there is how much they focus on their functional accomplishments versus how much they are focusing on what leadership looks like, and how it shows up within the organization at large. Wow. Um, I love, I knew I loved this the first time I read it, and I like it even more listening to you say it again. <laughs> because I can't tell you how many people, so we're talking about this from a marketing point of view. Yes. And I will sort of say VP titles have different meanings across different organizations. So 
for some of my financial services, VP is a more junior title, and they would be facing the MD title, the managing director title. So whatever it is that you're chasing that feels like it puts you in that elite status, shall we say, that it's yeah, not that's about- That's a very good the, point that vice president is a junior title in some places. It's like, oh, it was the big thing I was chasing. People are like, wow, wow, that doesn't matter. Everyone's a vice president. <laughs> Good point. But it depends on how your company sits, exactly. and it, that just varies industry to industry for sure. So I just want to make that point in case anybody has missed it. But you said something really interesting about deserve. I felt I deserved it because look at all I've done. Hundreds and thousands of people that I talk to say the same thing. I deserve. Look what I've accomplished. And they get angry because they feel like they're not getting recognized for what they've accomplished. And you say, at that break point, wrong metric. Yes, 100%. And I think that's what, this is where we have underserved everyone that is trying to build their career is we haven't, because up to that point, it is your functional skill that is leveling you up. And I don't think we talk enough about at that at that more leadership level for whatever, however that's defined at your company, at that next level of organizational leadership, it is about soft skills. It is about, like, if you're pointing out your, even if you're team building your accomplishments, if it's still where you're centered, it's not helping people understand how you are moving the broader organizational objectives forward. And that's kind of the big cut between those that are doing the work and those that are leading the organization is that shift in frame. And for most of us, we look at, oh, they, they're so good at what they do. That's how they got that title. But it is the invisible work across the organization. Like you can't measure that. It is not, it's not put in a bottle. It's not showing up in anyone's, like if you do a weekly review and people are looking at metrics, you're, you're, none of this will show up. And so it's very, very difficult to see. And so it's very difficult from looking up (laughs) to see that someone might actually be a total wizard at the interdepartmental leadership. We used to call uh, like this one VP that I used to work with, we used to call him golden throat because he had this magical way of being in any meeting and posing a question that made everyone pause and rethink, well, am I doing the right thing? Are we, are we doing this for the right reasons? And if that's all he did was sprinkle those questions everywhere he went to make sure that everyone in that room or in that meeting was doing things for the right reasons, elevating us to remember, this is about something the company needs to do. That was a great service. And we didn't, again, at that point in my career, I didn't recognize like, man, he's just so influential, like so good. I can see now very much precisely what he was doing. Yeah, thousands of comments I want to make. So in my work and in my writing, I call the first level, the functional level of leadership, expertise leadership. You are leading. You may be leading the function. You may be leading a part of the function, but you're focusing on your expertise skills and that you're getting followership because people are following your content knowledge, your depth, okay? And that's where you're doing your job and it's very tangible. You can point at it and say, I did X, Y, and Z, and there we go. I call the other one spanning. 
largely because I couldn't find another word if I'm really honest, but it's about spanning across domains. And you said it more eloquently than I have said it, which is it's about the enterprise wide across the organization, having the impact of moving the organization's goals forward, not my expertise area's goals forward. So spanning is my word for it. Um, and it is invisible. One of the freakiest things is you don't, you, what do you point to at the end of the day that I did? Other than I went to a bunch of meetings and I said a bunch of things. Okay. I got people to think a little bit. Ah, and it's also hard. I think when you're sitting there wanting that title or that promotion to look at golden throat, for example, and say, well, what's so great about that? I mean, yeah, he's got a great way with words, but eh, why is that important? What does he know is what we often come back with. Yeah. And you're like, that's (laughs) the point. Wanda, that is such a great point where when when you are striving toward that next level, that's what you're measuring that person. I I know more about my domain than Golden Throat. All they did was ask a question. But that's the job at that level. The job at that level is that you are you're you can't be a functional expert. That's what everyone else is. And so I think that is a, a shift in mindset that's necessary for anyone that is striving for that more elusive next level in in any organization is, what is the value that that level is providing the level above them? Because then that's probably like the the C-suite equivalent for whatever that is. They just need to know that, that everything is aligned with the broader organizational objectives. They don't actually care whether or not it was domain A, B, or C that did it. It just needs to happen. And they're actually relying on those domain experts to figure out amongst themselves what, how much is organization A versus organization C. And at that C level, they, don't act, they won't necessarily know. Uh, like I, I see this, I, you know, sitting on boards and engineering, it's really, really difficult for a lot of boards even to understand what the engineering team presents is this actually the value that we need out of this organization? Because no one understands what's happening there. Uh, it's a little it, with sales; it's really easy. Did they hit their number or not? And so there's this expectation that well, we're going to trust that what the engineering team was telling us is going to contribute to this bottom line, but we don't actually know. And then the CEO is the one that needs to be able to say, "Hey, guys, is is this the right stuff?" And it's Again, it's not supposed to, he's not supposed to be an engineering expert and a sales expert and a marketing expert. He's leaning on those folks to that next level down to be able to say, well, here's how we can contribute and we're going to work together to figure it out. I'm working with a top team right at the moment who has great individual area experts, content depth a lot of loyalty from their teams to those leaders, a lot of loyalty. So you might say they tick a lot of wonderful boxes. This team is sub-optimizing what the organization could be by a long shot. And they're sub-optimizing because they've not yet figured out that a whole bunch of the stuff they waste their time on really is stuff that they should be just taking care of in pairwise trios foursomes on the side. Look, our three areas have a problem. Let's sort it out. We need X, Y, and Z. Great. You do. I do. Done. 
and report back to the CEO and the broader team, check, we had this problem fixed now, you know, and not waste. It's just, they're just running it so functionally that they're completely missing the point of the team and the opportunity for the organization as a whole. Same yeah. problem. Wanda, you bring up such something that's so important there is when, when we live in our functions and there's a problem, oftentimes we, we, we say, hey, the problem is over there and we point the fingers <laughs> and we want someone else to, to, to go tell that other organization, you're, you're this problem. And if you just made this problem, if you solve this problem for me, then I could do my job better. And so much of what you're talking about, there, there are so many little things that would go so much better if teams broke down a lot of these siloed boundaries and empower product teams, which is something SVPG talks a lot about is, is a model around that, which is don't have engineers and product and designers or data scientists as all these separate functions. You're this tightly integrated squad and product marketing is a part of that as well, which is you might build something differently. If in conversation, you're realizing, Oh, if this releases, five months from now, it's going to be completely irrelevant. So what do we want to do differently? Or if a data scientist is saying, well, actually, when I've looked at the data, I see very different people engaging with that feature area than who we're designing this for. Does that mean that it's actually as functional as we think? And that everyone has to be able to put in that dialogue or add to that dialogue in a zone of safety, psychological safety. So the the Google Aristotle Project I'm sure you know all about it, which is the most functional teams could bring up really challenging topics and everyone would feel safe doing that. And that's the definition of functional, not if you're the smartest or the best or the highest velocity or have the best metrics. How function, how well does this team function and does everyone feel safe being able to bring up tough topics? Great. I love it. I love it. All right. So you said earlier, if you're focusing on the functions competence, not the organization at large, then you're not ready for that next promotion. Say a little bit more about that. We've been talking about that, what it means to focus on the organization at large, but can you give us a sort of like checklist? Can I go through and say, do I meet the criteria for being ready or not? So I I write about this in my blog, but uh, step one is, are you focusing on your function or are you focusing first on, on the company? Um, Another step is a lot of the soft skills that are required around scaling, where it's not about your success isn't defined about your team, but it's defined around the other teams that are inter that are you're interoperating with and whether or not they feel like they are able to be successful. An example that is germane to my world oftentimes is marketing plus sales. If, if marketing is meeting their metrics, but sales isn't meeting theirs, it's not Marketing's doing our job and sales is falling short. If they're falling short, it's also on you, marketing, and to recognize that. So that's an example of, of that at play. Uh, and then there's a lot of internal work as well, where it's not just about what you, what you need to do for yourself, but it's what you're enabling through others. And really, if, if you're doing less work, but your team is being massively successful, that's another, that's another bar against which to measure yourself. And you called it spanning. My, my husband always asks every product, uh, product leader, scaling, a question about scaling. And he doesn't define scaling and says, where would you rate this? And you're, you know, stack rank yourself against vision 
strategy, execution, and scaling without identifying what he means by that. And it's a tell to see, does someone talk about product scaling or organizational scaling? So even just the definition of how they handle that word, that's a big tell of where they are and how they think about things. Great. I come back to my top team and asking them, can you articulate for me what it takes to be successful? What does it take to win? And I'm watching to say, do I get functional capability? Like my function needs to do and my function needs to do and my area needs to do, as opposed to collectively, what we've got to do is hit this one and this one. And not surprisingly, largely around the table, everybody labeled functional capability. Yeah, no, and one exception. I would say it is, it's not uncommon. I mean, great leadership is far, we, we all know what it is. It's really not that common to see it in the wild. And when you do see it, it is exceptional and it really stands out. I was on the board of a company where there was a former head of marketing that was really, really functionally exceptional, but would constantly hit his metrics and the rest of the company wasn't hitting theirs. And we're like, um, so you can't, you can't be great by yourself. <laughs> and yeah. it was, uh, and now the, the, the teams that are in place, they all, they're like, okay, we're doing this, but here are the things that we need to work on. They're so, it's so evident at that leadership level that everyone's working together and you see it and it is so different and so I would say, unfortunately, the, the wrong models get modeled for us all the time. And we look at that and say, well, look, it exists. So therefore, it must be okay. But I think your show and leaders like you who are really trying to help teams learn, that this is what best in class looks like. And when you've seen it once, you will never, ever want to ever be a part of any team that functions any less optimally than this, because you can actually achieve things so much faster. Like, that's the thing. You can be better, faster, all of you, when the team is hyper-functional from that leadership perspective. Right. right. So a joined-up team committed to the larger cause, all caring about the larger organizational cause, not just their individual functional area, and all pulling together. So it's not okay if my area is doing fine and your area is failing. I'm accountable for all of it, not just my single area. I do find sometimes, Martina, our language around accountability gets us in trouble because accountability says, I have this thing, this pod in front of me, and this is my pod. I'm accountable for it, and I can deliver my accountability. Uh, what is the rest of you? You know, sort of like, where, where are you? And that's not what you really are talking about at this leader level. You're talking about we're all accountable for the organization, whole entity. Okay. Easier words to say than it actually is to practice. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think, <laughs> and I think part of that is to your point earlier, which is accountability up to this level is for our functional expertise. I can be held accountable for this area. And, right. and so what is very much a, what got you here isn't what's going to get you to that next level. And when you cross that threshold, is not a hard and fast line. So that like, whoop, I've now crossed that threshold and now what's expected of me is different. But I would say, if you feel like you're butting up against a ceiling where people aren't able to articulate more precisely what it is that you need to do, it's because they're lacking the language, 
or maybe the experience to describe, you're actually lacking some of these broader organizational skills. We don't arm managers with that vocabulary <laughs> or the skill set of how to like really train that up. And so it is incumbent on you to recognize if you're getting, I'll say, soft signals of amorphous feedback, you need to be more aware of the political situation or like stuff you're like, what, what can I do with that? Yeah. They'll use fuzzy words. Leader-like. Yeah. Uh, or you need to have more of a leadership presence. And you're like, what? What does that mean? I can be, there are many styles of leadership. When you start getting that fuzzy stuff back at you, it's because they don't have the vocabulary or no more specifically, nor can they describe because it's not like, oh, if you just do these 10 things, you'll get there. It's you then cluing in and saying, ah, they can't tell me what I need to do, which means I need to figure it out. What do, what can I do for the organization that helps elevate the group that is around me or the group that is next, you know, next to me, adjacent me, above me? And it's that connection and elevation. So it, I, I think elevate is a really great word for it. Like it's that next level of elevation. If you stuck your head up and we're in this world, how might you do things differently and to experiment? Like sometimes, like my husband was really great at this. He was absolutely maniacal about having one-on-ones with all his functional peers every month. There was no prize for that. He wasn't measured on that, but it let him, if anything wasn't going right, he would pick up the phone or just send an email and they could immediately figure it out because a relationship was in place that let them operate at that company leadership level. That's right. And I love that with every single one like this, not that we're going to wait to come to a meeting and we're going to get all accomplished in the meeting. It's one-to-one solving the problems that we have to move the organization forward. Okay. I, I agree with you. The language from leaders is very ambiguous. And, you know, we often say, well, that person has been promoted beyond their level of competence. And I like to say, no, they've been promoted past their level of expertise. And what they don't know how to do is operate at this new level when they're not the functional expert. All right, Martina, how did you learn what this you're not ready phrase meant in your <laughs> life? What, how did you unpack what that was? I about? learned the hard way of butting my head up against that next level and getting that amorphous feedback and having to figure it out myself. So hopefully we're shortcutting it for a few people. Okay. Um, and it, it, it was, it was, I mean, I still remember the first review where, where someone literally said that to me saying, you need to be, I did the first promotion I didn't get where I expected, I was like, look at all the stuff that I've done. And they're like, you need to be a little more politically aware. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and each step of the way where I thought I was demonstrating this exceptional competence and I, I, I didn't get something that I was expecting, I remembered that feedback and said, well, then what does it mean in the next job that I do? So the very next job that I did, I said, well, what would it be to be more politically aware And so I had some, what I thought was really important feedback. And instead of just saying it to my team, I sent it out to all these other teams and and leaders saying, I think this is an important issue, like leaders multiple levels above me. And they were really grateful for that. And I was like, oh, that's what they meant. So (laughs) I, I learned in the school of hard knocks. And then also I would say interviewing a lot of leaders has, it's really easy to pattern match when you see it in a lot of others. So 
it was the combination of me just living through those experiences myself and remembering and then applying and then realizing, oh, this is what they meant. So that's what, thing one. Uh, and then thing two is just seeing it in others. Okay. All right. And do you have advice for managers? So let's say I've got somebody reporting to me and they're not ready yet, quote unquote, <laughs> or strategic enough or enough presence or leadership-like or politically savvy or read the room or whatever other favorite phrase they have. What's your advice to those managers? Two things. One is there are probably one or two very tactical things that someone can, can do that helps them show up in a way they would like to be perceived and to identify those one or two things. And it might be something as simple, and I work with someone on this, as maintaining eye contact in meetings when they're giving challenging feedback. It's like, if you, if you start looking away, people aren't really sure you have conviction in what you're saying. Smallest thing, but it absolutely helped people feel like this was a moment they should be leaning and paying attention to. So sometimes there are very small tactical things or another that I'm working with somebody else on right now is, how they're managing a meeting so that it shows that they are directing it and not letting the agenda drive the meeting, if that makes sense. So literally we have nine minutes left and three more topics. How do we want to get through this? So it's showing that they are in control versus just, Oh, I'm going through this list. So these tiny little things, that's the tactical side that elevate someone's level of play. So focus on that. But then I'd also say there's probably one or two soft skills that you, as a manager, you want to develop some vocabulary around just so you can help them understand. So this is what it would look like to me in this organization. If you want to operate at this next level, here here is evidence that others could see. But ask that person that you're trying to coach and say, I want to hear what it looks like from you. If you were at this level, what would you do? What would you do differently? And you want to, while they're still in the safety of having you as a manager, help them develop the vision that they don't have and, and, and walk through that. Cause it's okay if you guys see things differently, because then you can coach and say, well, this is how I see it. And then they can say, well, this is how I see it. And, and, and making it safe to have that be collaborative as opposed to you need a, this is a test. Right. Right. The, um, one of the telltale signs I see when I'm working with a team is whether people are interested in topics that are outside their area of expertise. So when you're, I don't know, marketing and they start talking about the financials, do you check your email at that point, stop paying attention, stop making comments? Because what that says to me is then you're not interested in the enterprise level. You're interested in your functional area. So I think you have to have an interest too. And how the rest of the piece of the businesses all come together to make the you all successful. Yeah. And I think, so that's a great example of how might you demonstrate that curiosity if it's not your domain. So it might be like, oh, it's at the quarterly review. Do you check out and start doing email when the finance team shows up? Do you ask a question? Huh? You, um, do you ask a question outside of a, a public domain? So do you go to that controller and say, hey, I'm, I'm wondering why you're being so harsh about us making our number. 
and then understand that there's this disconnect that the controller doesn't understand what the marketing team is doing at all. And so they're like, you're either on budget or not. And I don't believe there should ever be an extension on this. There's a dialogue there. Um, so yeah, I think that the curiosity you're talking about, Wanda, it's it's important that it be there, but it's also important that it be on display for others to, to see. Right, right. I remember talking to a woman who took her first general manager role. And she said she knew she wasn't as strong in finance as she thought she needed to be for this GM role. And so she was in headquarters at the time. So she goes around to the CFO whom she knew and knew very, very well and said, okay, I'm taking on this GM role. And the finance person who's going to report to me reports to you directly. What are the 10 questions I should be asking my finance director? Would it, I mean, what a clever way of understanding what are the issues I need to be thinking about. And granted, she was the GM, but still, we, how many times could we all do that with our colleagues in different functional areas? And maybe not 10, maybe it's five, maybe it's three. I think there's a conversation there that would be pretty powerful. Oh, I think that's such a great suggestion, Wanda, or a great example, really, of someone that was showing and demonstrating wonderful curiosity. What questions should I be asking that I don't know to ask? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I just did this with one of my colleagues where I had a tricky meeting with somebody else. And instead of trying to adjudicate it, I just said, what would this look like if, if, I, if I was to do it differently in a way that you think it, it might've it might have had less friction? And so I made myself vulnerable. I was listening to whatever he was saying and he, and he would do it differently than I would. But I learned a lot just by putting the scenario in front of him and saying, oh, this is how someone else would handle it. What does that mean for me and, how, and my style and how I might be more dynamic? I think that's another soft skill mm-hmm. at that leadership level is, do you have one way of, of problem solving, one way of engaging, or can you be a little more dynamic based on who, the interaction, what you're trying to get out of it? And is there versatility in your tool set to solve problems? Great. Okay, Martina, we've talked about my favorite topic. So now let's talk about your favorite topic as well, which is marketing. So help me with language here. Marketing, sales, product marketing. Uh, do you draw boundary lines? between? How do you draw those boundary lines or are there? Yeah, such a good question. So brought, like just in the simplest form, like product, the organization that's actually bringing, building the product that is going to go to market. And then I refer to marketing and sales as the go-to-market engine. They are highly collaborative. They work with one another. Within marketing, Product marketing is a discipline, which is how do you bring a product, drive product adoption through shaping the perception of the product with strategic marketing activities that align with a business. So it's kind of like the quarterback uh, between the product teams and the go-to-market teams to make sure that the go-to-market actions are being very thoughtfully applied based on what the business needs from it. The marketing team, like the peer marketing team, is amplification, promotion, filled with specialists, your social specialist, your demand gen, your PR, your analyst relations person. You might even have an army of people doing each of these areas, depending if you're consumer facing or B2B. So B2B might have a whole demand gen team or a whole content team. Those are very common, common things. But they are basically just creating a map or running campaigns, digital advertising specialists, SEO specialists 
each of those specialists is running their domain for amplification, promotion, and running campaigns. So they take the core material that the product marketing team comes up with and say, okay, here, here's the core storytelling messaging assets that we need to use. Then we plug them into our campaigns and turn them up to 11. But they are basically taking the foundational work that product marketing is doing to do all of their specialist jobs. Without that product marketing discipline, where you know what are the elements of product that we bring into this or who is it for and what does it need to do for our business, then you could just have, and, and I'm sure we've all seen this where it's kind of like promotion run amok or like, oh yeah, here's all this advertising that uh, is, is talking about things and it's getting people, but they're not the right users or they, they don't have long-term value to the company. So you were mentioning that top of the hour that your son does B2B marketing, not all customers are equal. Some are more valuable to a business than others. And so that's where the strategic aspect uh, becomes important because a, you can run any campaign to get any audience. That, let's say someone that's doing the digital marketing needs to be told, actually what we're really looking for are people that are, have engineering somewhere in their title or purview or responsibility. And that person might say, well, if that's the case, I'm not actually going to run digital advertising campaigns. I'm going to work with the content team to develop some stuff. Then we're going to promote that content rather than running these standalone campaigns. And the motion, the go-to-market motion might be really different based on that audience. And it's not up to, typically, it's not up to those marketing specialists to determine those things. They're the specialists that understand their domain and say, well, here's how, here's how I apply my marketing expertise to the goals that you're trying to accomplish. Did that break all down? I think so. I get the sense from a general management perspective that I've now added somebody to my value chain, to my value pod. I've got a group of people who are helping me determine what product features, how is that designed, what value is that adding, what customer segment are we going after, um, how do we make sure this thing actually works the way it says it's going to work? You know, all those components that allow us to take a product or service and offer in the world and create value. That product marketing is one more of those people who are helping say, what's the message we're delivering about this product and to whom? Is that? Yeah. Well, the four fundamentals that I identify as like, these are the foundational principles that anchor product marketing are being an ambassador between the customer and market insights, being that strategist, so directing that product's go-to-market, having making sure everyone's aware of that plan, being the storyteller, so how do you help shape how the world thinks about a product? So it's not just telling stories or doing messaging, it's shaping how the market thinks about something. And the fourth is evangelist, and it's enabling others to tell your story. That might be a sales force if you're in a B2B situation. It might be influencers or social influencers if you're direct to consumer. So it's identifying and understanding for your market who is most important to be saying these things and then arming them with what they need to be able to advocate for your product. Yeah, and the latter part, because we're seeing so much gain in places with social media, but social media is not just one more campaign put out there, it's your specialist that your buyers really want to hear from putting out content that is actually relevant. 
Yes. And so thinking about how you are enabling those content specialists to tell that story. So an evangelist for them. Yeah. So yeah. Can you give me an example of how all this works together. You know, pick any one product that you've worked on and tell me what the market product marketer did. Well, probably the, the easiest one for most to understand from my direct experience was I was a product manager for Microsoft Word. And this one year, we basically got this directive from on high. So it was a big business edict. All product groups had to release their next version simultaneously with the next version of Windows. And for us at the time, it actually cut our development time in half. And this was in an era, which meant we were going to have about half the features. And this was in an era where the value of a product was determined largely by the sheer number of features inside. You would literally stick a sticker on the front of the box saying 150 features. And even if you didn't understand what any of them did, you thought, well, I'm at least getting 150 new features. So I've got some value for, for my money. So we sat down the product management and product marketing teams and said, how do we frame this next version so that it can be perceived in a way of being better, even though it doesn't have as many features. And we looked at this instrumentation study, which captured every keystroke of 200 users. And we realized that every level of user from beginner to advanced, 75% of every action they took inside a word processor really fell into four foundational areas. And they were simple things like printing, file management, formatting. And when we looked at the features we would be able to finish, they were features that were focused largely on those areas. So the red squiggly line underneath the word as you type that it's misspelled, that debuted in that version. The most recently used in your open list and file management, that debuted in that version because we realized most of the time when you're going back to your word processor, you're working on one of the last five documents that you used last time. And so they, these seem so small and obvious now, but they were big and illuminating at the time. And so what we did was when we went out to position the product for the market and talk to the press, who were the most influential evangelists at the time, we basically told them this story and said, we focused on the features that matter most to the most users. And we set that as the frame everywhere to the press, to the field, and it became the most highly reviewed and commercially successful version of Word up to that point in time. And it's because we set the frame into which the features that we could build were truly valuable for the most people. So it all turned though on having some data. Yes. That you used to understand what it was people really cared about. Yeah, and well, it's, it, it turned on data that let us tell a true story Mm -hmm. that was illuminating to the market. Because if we hadn't had that data, if we hadn't told that story, people would say like, well, this is 50 features less than your last version. Is it really any better? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it, it, it was the beginning of shaping a different kind of conversation for value. That strikes me as a relevant conversation in about 100 companies that I can think <laughs> of. Right Whether it's a direct-to-consumer or it's a, B2B, or it's an enterprise-wide sale, or it's a whatever, you know, that you're asking what are the most used features or most used qualities that are going to add the greatest value to the, to the buyer, however that goes, and can you prove it? Yes. Yeah. That's and what you mean by being an ambassador, connecting the customer and the insight. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then bringing all those things together. So we had to, it wasn't just having that insight, but it was, was the story that's embedded in. And it's not just like, oh, let's tell a story, but it's one that is meaningful. And then we were arming them with with those facts and they didn't necessarily play those facts back, but they were very relevant. Whether people realized it or not, it was relevant in how they were assessing value. Okay. All right. So I see the ambassador where I'm connecting the insight. I see the strategist, which is directing how we're going to go to the market. So we're going to say we're going to go to the market through the newspaper medium by doing this, by telling that. I see the storytelling aspect where you're shaping the story that people get about your product release and the evangelist that you're enabling other people to continue telling that story. Yeah, see, Wanda, boom, you are now a product marketer. And so (laughs) that brings us back to the beginning, which is it is a mindset. It is not someone that carry, someone can carry the title and not actually be doing what's required of the function. So if everyone understands these more foundational aspects of it, they know what to look for. And and I'll say, even in the, like you heard, that was a collaboration that got us to that answer. No magical product marketer is going to come up with with all the answers in a room. It's always going to be a collaboration. So if everyone understands more what, what to do, you can have all of this happen and in many cases, it's going to have to happen without someone that carries the title, or maybe the best idea is going to be from people that are that, that are part of this team as opposed to just the person that is quarterbacking. All right. And we're right back to thinking about the organizational level as opposed to the functional level, right? Okay. So that, that articulation of, but I can see a product marketer's value um, in asking those kind of questions of the yes. team. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the things I say in the, the, the back of my book. I'm like, hey, you can't change. Let's say you can't change everything in your organization, but you want product marketing to, to function in a stronger way. And it's literally ask questions. If you're if you as a product marketer aren't present, then, then the engineer can ask these questions. What is the customer perspective on this? What is the market perspective on this? Uh, I just had a, a conversation with a product manager a young product manager, her team just got blown up, like two leaders left, two individual product managers left. And so it's now half the team size. And she's trying to figure out, well, how do I help lead this function? I said, if at every meeting where you're deciding what you're going to do in your next release, you don't just say, how do we whittle these 50 things down to 10? You say, what would, the, what would be most valued in the market and what would delight our customers? And if that's how you frame that conversation, you're already changing things more toward the market and you're already elevating the conversation. Right. And where do we have data that's going to show that and how do we tell the story? Okay. I get the formula. All right. Now I'm going to take a wide turn for just a couple of minutes because while you talk about this in terms of products, it strikes me that we could take the exact same discipline, the same set of questions, the same four fundamentals and turn it on marketing ourselves. I, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that that, Part of the objective was to come up with fundamentals that were so foundational that you could really apply it to anything. Like I have a head of school that read the book and said, this is making me rethink how we should be positioning our school. And she doesn't have a product marketer. She's never going to have one, but but she's now going to ask of her organization, how, do, how might we do this? And there, a lot of it is, and this is true for a lot of companies, it's a little bit the people who are inside at the beginning that shape the perception of even the product. It's like who created this product is what's making it magical, not just what's inside of it. So I, th- I do think in the modern era 
where people pay a little bit of cult of personality. We all have to pay attention to the fact that these things matter in how we're perceived professionally. I talk about writing being a, even for an engineer, it's actually a critical skill because for you to be viewed as an expert in your area, you need to be able to tell stories about the work that you've done and why it is valuable, how it's connected, not like, oh, you're not just technically excellent, but how it actually propelled something at your company. And that's going to help elevate you because then people can connect your technical work with what it did for a company. Right. Right. So if I take those questions, I'm going to take just what you said, and I'm going to turn them into a set of questions about each person as an individual. So I'm trying to position myself or reposition myself. All right. So what's the, who's my buyer? Like who's my stakeholder and what's the value that I'm adding and what are they really looking for? And how do I connect those two dots? There's the ambassador role. Yeah. So what's my strategy for communicating that message, getting that message out? Is it me? Is it somebody else telling it? Is it, what am I going to do? What's my strategy? Three, what's the story I'm going to tell that demonstrates this quality? And then four, can I enable other people to tell that same story on my behalf? Yes. There's a personal branding reposition as solidly as it gets. I love it. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Not that people are products, but yes, it is that, um, it is that fundamental. I mean, as you were saying that, I was like, I was thinking of anyone that you're coaching in an organization, you would coach on those things. Who are your advocates that are pulling you along? Not just mentors, but people who will say, no, Wanda is the person that should be at this next level. Right. And have I armed them with the data to say why I should be at that next level? All right, fine. I'm going to ask one last question. We got just a couple of minutes before we close. You know, collaboration is at the heart of everything you talk about. Collaboration across the team level, collaboration across the different functional areas, collaboration, marketing with everybody else around. How do you, I mean, what can we do to be better collaboration? I think is my simple question. What's your advice? My single biggest piece of advice, ironically, is to become a better listener. And in because in collaborating, we're like, oh, I'm supposed to bring my expertise to the table. Yes, you absolutely want to do that. But create space for others to bring their ideas. Do simple things like playback. Wanda, I think I just heard you say this. Did I hear you? Because that makes people feel heard. It makes them want to bring things in to a discussion because it can be recognized or seen or if somebody is quiet. Uh, one, I, I, I know you have points of view on this that you haven't expressed. Um, is it something that you can share with the group? Is it something that you wanna share via email? Like create space for different styles? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's so much in collaboration that uh, is about creating space and listening and, and leaving space for others. And I'd say that's one of the, that's the next level collaboration. So listening, God, I couldn't agree more. We're so bad at it. We think we do, but we don't. What we don't do is leave people feeling that they were heard. Yes. That's a great processing it. You know, half, I have heard it. I didn't really give you my full attention. And my pet peeve on that one is when you're doing your email, you're not fully listening and nobody feels fully listened to. So, okay, check. And the only way people know that you've heard them is the playback that you described synthesis is another word I often use. Absolutely essential. And if I don't think you're listening to me, why should I ante up to help? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, it's at the heart of what it takes to do it. Okay, Martina, I'm totally sold. I love the book. Um, (laughs) Martina Lachenko, and the book is called Loved, How to Rethink Marketing Technical Products. Uh, And I would actually argue how to rethink marketing anything, forget that it's technical products. Um, Martina, if people want to get in touch with you, how shall they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. I'm also Maven Martina on Twitter, but LinkedIn is probably a pl- an easier place to find me. Uh, and also martinalauchenko.com. But Costa Noa Ventures is where I spend 95% of my time. So early stage startups, that's where, that's where you'd want to find me. Okay, fabulous. Martina Lauchenko, the book is loved. Fabulous book. Thanks for joining us. Wanda, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And to my audience, such great questions. (laughs) Thank you to my audience. Join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. And if you'd like to know more how to apply these kind of concepts, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us.